The following programming has been made possible in part by the generous support of BITS, Blind Information Technology Specialists. An affiliate of the American Council of the Blind, BITS provides career development for computer professionals. For over 50 years, BITS has been on the forefront of industry, promoting and advocating on information access and technology that improves the quality of life for people who are blind and visually impaired. Learn more about BITS programs and how to become a member by visiting their website at www.bits-acb.org. Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Well, good evening, everybody. I'm Becky Davidson, Chair of the Environmental Access Committee, and I would like to first um, welcome Debbie Hazelton, our streamer, and Belinda Collins, our Zoom host without whom this would be really, really difficult. So we're really happy to have you guys on board. And I I would like to just also give a shout out to the other call participants. Um, You'll hear much more from them in a few. Ron Brooks from Arizona and our transportation, in some ways, guru, someone who knows more about transportation than just about anybody else I know. And Pat Sheehan, who's a member of both the Transportation Committee and the Environmental Access Committee and the board. Um, Happy to have both of you on board. And just a shout out to my counterpart on the Transportation Committee, Sheila Styron, who's who's also with us. And tonight we're going to be talking about autonomous vehicles. And that's a topic that might on the surface seem like it's just a transportation issue, but it's really both an environmental and a transportation issue or subject, I guess we could say, um, because accessibility to the environment includes accessibility to all forms of transportation. Um, The whole autonomous car concept is really pretty exciting, something that we just kind of laughed at a little bit maybe 10 years ago, but we're seeing more and more technology that's just becoming um, very available. And it's very, very important, of course, that it also be accessible. So having said that, um, I would like to not spend a lot of time talking and let Ron Brooks um, take over. You ready, Ron? Yes, I am. Good evening. Good evening, everybody. Thank you uh, so much, Becky. Uh, Thanks also to uh, Debbie and Melinda and everybody who is helping us uh, execute this session. Thank you to Pat. You're going to hear more from Pat as we go along. And um, and also thank you to Sheila for being here as well to represent the Transportation Committee, uh, of which I'm a member. And uh, so I was actually living in Phoenix in 2010 when the ACB Um, came here uh, for our conference. And I was in the audience when there was a presentation from uh, a representative of a company that was, uh, it it was under a different name back then. I believe it was Alphabet. Um, And the company, uh, the lady was talking about this concept of autonomous vehicles and self-driving cars. And I remember sitting there and and at that point, it was really kind of futuristic. It was coming there. It was clearly something that was in development, but it was, it was not something that was really, you know, it didn't seem like something that was going to happen anytime real soon. And, you know, 10 years later, um, I live here in Phoenix and autonomous vehicles are on the streets. Uh, They are driving without drivers. Uh, They are transporting people who are paying money uh, to ride in them. 
in in some small parts of our community uh, as as the companies continue to gain um, data and experience and um, and to teach the technology uh, to 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 their cars so that the cars can become better. So this technology is it's now a real thing and. There's a lot going on within the autonomous vehicle space uh, in the in terms of what the manufacturers are doing, uh, in terms of what regulators are are thinking about doing, uh, and in terms of how industries like public transportation uh, and the commercial transportation industry um, are are doing to bring this technology in. And it's it's time to uh, continue and to pay close attention to the accessibility of that technology. Uh, because this is the technology that will replace over time uh, and not tomorrow and not not next year and probably not within the next decade, but soon after this is the technology that will largely replace what we know today um, in terms of, of vehicles on the road. So it's really important that we get it right. So what I would like to do is kick us off with just a few remarks about where the technology is in terms of uh, its development. And this is real summary level. Um, it is not intended to be detailed or scientific. Um, it's just kind of a weather report. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about what's happening on the regulatory side because there's a lot of stuff happening. Um, I'd like to also share just a little bit about, uh, or, or actually then what I'd like to do is just share a few of the issues that um, appear to be hot button issues from an accessibility standpoint. Um, and then I'd like to open it up and, and ask some, some questions. And Pat uh, is going to be here to share some, some insight. But we'd also like to hear from each of you um, if you have things that you'd like to share. Uh, you know, please um, do that because, and, and I'll get into why that's important right now, but it's really important that people who are going to be users of this technology in the future uh, at some point, uh, this is the time to start to have your voices heard. And I'll say up front, there are many people within ACB uh, who know as much or more than I do. Uh, ACB has been working with the autonomous vehicle industry uh, for a number of years uh, and working with a number of companies. Uh, Waymo is one. Uh, GM is another. Uh, I think Local Motors, which is more on the shuttle side. So ACB has been in this space, working hard, providing input. There are several people involved. So this is not just one or two people, and it's not a new thing. Uh, but as we start to get closer to commercial availability of this technology, it's really important that more and more people become aware of what it is, how it works, and what they need it to do so that they can share their input as we start to get closer uh, to when this technology is, is available in more places. So just a little bit about autonomous technology. You will hear terms called levels of automation. Typically, you'll hear level zero through level five. Those categories are not super important, but when I talk about automated vehicles or autonomous vehicles, I'm talking about vehicles that are at level four or level five automation. And basically what that means is that the vehicle is operated completely autonomously without a driver. Uh, there are earlier versions of autonomous vehicles that are already in the market. Tesla uh, has a vehicle that would be considered level three automation because the, the, there is a driver required and the driver has to intervene sometimes. 
That's level three. Uh, level four is basically completely autonomous. The vehicle is driving. There is no driver. Um, the only difference between that and level five is that level four operates inside of what's called a geofence, meaning that it's in a geographically defined area with a you know with boundaries. And level five is basically there is no geographic boundary. That's just it's operating somewhere on planet Earth and and it can run anywhere it wants. Right now, state of the art is is basically level four. So a couple of things that are happening within automation. There are a number of manufacturers that are working on different platforms. We heard from some of them uh, a few weeks ago at the legislative seminar. Uh, we heard from Waymo and we also heard from Cruz, different approaches to the same uh, autonomous vehicle challenge. Waymo is using vehicles that are provided uh, by Chrysler. Uh, those are uh, Pacificas, I believe. So they are taking existing vehicles and they are modifying them to operate as autonomous vehicles. Cruise is a GM uh, product. They are actually building a vehicle and their intention is to launch a vehicle that does not have a driver's seat. There is no place from within the vehicle to operate the vehicle as a driver. Uh, and most people believe that that is ultimately where the autonomous vehicles will go because why would you design an autonomous vehicle and put a driver's seat in if you intend for the vehicle to be autonomous. So, so those are kind of you know, things that are happening right now. The other thing that's happening is with some manufacturers or shuttle vehicles. These are more like small transit vehicles where you might have seats for eight or 10 or 12 people. Uh, and the vehicle basically operates on a route or uh, in, a, yeah, in a defined area uh, in kind of a transit application. So one of the questions right now is how will this technology roll out? Will it roll out as technology that people purchase and take home, put in their own garage and drive it around themselves? Or will it be a, uh, a fee, uh, basically a use uh, for fee service? So like, like a taxi or an Uber uh, or a Lyft where you basically call, call a vehicle, it comes to you, it picks you up, it takes you where you want to go, and then it drops you off, and you pay for the use of the service. Um, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty confident that it'll probably roll out both ways, uh, but I think most people believe that we will see a lot of services, and Cruise is one, where they expect to roll this out as a pay-for-use service. So customers aren't buying a vehicle, they're buying use of a vehicle that is owned by a company or maybe leased by a company. So that has implications, and the implications are regulatory, insurance, and also how the technology works. Uh, undoubtedly, there will be an, uh, mobile apps involved uh, to, to summon these vehicles, to have them come to you. Uh, there will be an app that determines how, you know, where you take the vehicle to. Um, the app may control functions of the vehicle. Uh, it could control how the doors work. How the how the um, uh, interior of the vehicle operates, whether the radio is turned on or off. I mean, it, we don't really know those details yet, but there's definitely going to be an app. Uh, there's going to be obviously the vehicle itself. Uh, it will have some passenger controls, uh, things like air conditioning, heating, radio, uh, lights, things like that, uh, window controls, uh, and it will probably have a button to call uh, for an emergency of some sort. So, so those are things that you know, we pretty much expect to happen. 
and everything else right now is still up in the air. So the big thing that's happening from an accessibility standpoint, and the reason for the timing of this workshop or uh, tonight is that the, the U.S. Uh, Department of Transportation and the U.S. Access Board, which is um, separate from the DOT, are both working on uh, efforts to determine how the accessibility of autonomous vehicles will play out. On the DOT side, the, the U.S. Department of Transportation issued a request for proposals last year uh, to find companies who would help solve accessibility challenges. They awarded $300,000 grants to 10 companies uh, and organizations uh, who had interesting ideas that they were going to work on to try to make the technology work better for people with disabilities. Those companies are now in the process of designing uh, their ideas. Those ideas will then compete for a grand prize that I believe is a million, uh, maybe a little more than that. But, but, that, but all 10 of those companies are doing real work uh, to develop a, a technology or accessibility solutions uh, that are designed to make autonomous vehicles more accessible. Several of those companies, by the way, are working in the space of accessibility that is largely intended to benefit people who are blind or visually impaired. The other thing that's happening is that the U.S. Access Board is in an open period where they are receiving comments uh, from individuals uh, with disabilities, organizations, and other stakeholders about how to address specific accessibility challenges associated with uh, this technology. And what the U.S. Access Board is looking to do, I believe, uh, is to establish some regulatory guidance for manufacturers uh, of this technology. So they have been holding a series of webinars. There's an online community uh, that you can go to and provide comments. And what they're looking to do right now is to get comments on several specific questions around use of the vehicles by people who uh, use mobility devices, wheelchairs, scooters, and the like, uh, and also folks who have sensory impairments. That would include folks who are blind or visually impaired, people with cognitive or intellectual disabilities, uh, and also people uh, who maybe have other types of, of disabilities, such as hearing impairments, um, things like that. So they are in a period right now where they are seeking input on what the community believes needs to be done to ensure that these vehicles are accessible. And so one of my goals and one of the goals for this session is to get to hear from you all about what are your concerns and what are the things you believe these vehicles should have uh, to benefit your use of them so that that input can get filtered into uh, the access board's public input process. So that's really kind of where we are. Uh, who knows how long it'll take uh, to get those that input formulated into any kind of a regulatory statement or guidance or rulemaking, uh, but that's kind of the process right now. So I want to stop, and before we jump into kind of the dialogue and just ask Pat, uh, Pat has been, you know, he's, he's been following this stuff too. Um, he's over there in you know, D.C. where there's a lot of stuff, you know, being, happening in this space, and I just want to open it up, and Pat, if you wanted to add anything, uh, and then from there, we can jump into some questions and, and some comments. Yeah, great idea, Ron. I'll just give my experience. And, and uh, in my area, I'm seeing a couple of things. Um, in, particularly in Virginia, 
there have been autonomous vehicles that are being um, probably, as you say, in a geo uh, uh, grid area, very specific that are navigating and taking the place of paratransit vehicles. And so you have um, your cost is way down as far as that is concerned. Individuals are using uh, autonomous vehicles on a very small, in a smaller area. Uh, and I think that we're seeing some of that roll out because transportation, uh, you know, within some of the jurisdictions is being cut. And so they're relying more on autonomous vehicles. About four years ago, I was over in uh, another area of Maryland, Prince George's County, and ran across a vehicle called Ollie, which was more of, of a shuttle type. Mm-hmm. But I thought some of the um, some of the areas of interest, and this was four years ago, so I haven't seen if they have improved it. I was trying to figure out if you're a person with a disability and you're getting on this vehicle, how is how are you going to know where you are, and how are you going to be informed of what is around you? In this particular instance, what they gave you was a uh, you, you received a, um, a like a smart card. They would have your disability on it. And then as you walked onto the vehicle, the vehicle would adjust to your disability. So myself being visually impaired, I would be looking for a seat. And so they had a haptic that allowed me to know when I was walking past a seat that was full. And then as I walked past a seat that was empty, it would feel empty. As I sat on that vehicle, I would receive uh, street um, indications of what streets were coming up and what streets I was passing. And of course, it knew where I needed to get off. And so it would announce that to me as a blind person, but the person immediately to my left and immediately to my right didn't hear the announcements because they were directed by very specific microphones only to me. And then as I would approach my stop, it would let me know that my stop was um, coming up and that I could exit that vehicle. Another fascinating thing that I also learned was, let's say the person to my right um, had uh, um, cognitive issues. They might be able to tell the person to my right, um, you know, that they're coming up to his particular stop, but with cognitive issues, they might be able to remind him, don't forget uh, if you brought an umbrella to take it with you, by the way, your appointment is going to be on the second floor in room blah, 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 blah. So the vehicle is able to help uh, navigate and guide you and give you information based on your disability. And I thought that part was fascinating. So, so lots of really interesting questions here uh, for us to kind of dive into just a little bit. And I, I do want to ask Becky if you could maybe give us like a five minute warning. Cause um, it's been my experience when you start talking about all this cool tech, the time flies. So what I would like to do is start to open it up and maybe if we could have, and I assume that we're in webinars. So people, if you want to raise your hands and uh, um, I don't know if those instructions have been given. Uh, if you're on a PC, uh, you can raise your hand with uh, alt Y. Uh, if you're on a Mac, um, I don't remember the Mac instructions. Um, so I don't know. Y. Uh, it's, it's option option Y. y yes. Option Y. Good. And if you're on a uh, an iPhone, it's under the more. Uh, there's a raise hand button. So if 
And if you're on the phone, I think it's star six. Yeah. And you have you do have some uh, raise hands. Yeah. So what I'd like to do to start is just to ask people if you could do two things. One is uh, when you are called on, uh, unmute yourself and introduce, say your first name and where you're from. And if you could share, what I'd like to do is break this into pieces. And maybe we could talk just a little bit first about the vehicles themselves. What, what concerns, if any, do you have from the standpoint of the vehicle, the specific vehicle? Let's stay away from the app right now and just focus on the vehicle. So I will see if the um, host has anybody's hands raised. Yes, we do. Let's see. Uh, Don, able to unmute? Okay. Hello. Can you hear me? Yes. yes we hear you. Wonderful. Thank you. I'll try to make this short, and I'm not sure if this is where I should bring this up, but since you mentioned talking about the vehicle, I, uh, I'm so excited about this kind of future. I've, I've been such a proponent of it. But I'm also very bothered by a lot of things that don't seem to be happening to make this possible. I hear very little discussion about changes in infrastructure. I hear very little discussion in about changes in how GPS software works and gets you from point A to point B. Uh, so yes, when it comes to the vehicle, I want to know that when I give that vehicle an address, it's not going to take me within 30 feet or 200 feet or across the street from that address, that it's going to know how to get to that specific address and what kind of turns it has to make to go down the street in the, in the proper direction to leave the person off at that address where they don't have to cross in the middle of the street or something like that. Mm -hmm. Because right now, that's not possible whatsoever, uh, whether, you're, whether you're a sighted driver or, or, or an autonomous vehicle. So the maps, the, every digital map in the world, the structure has to be redesigned, uh, the, the amount of sectors per block, et cetera. The GPS, we, we don't even have our access to Galileo yet. Yet I can go on eBay and buy a receiver for $80 that will give me three accuracy within inches. And yet we don't see this in, in consumer level products, even though it's possible. Do you know if this is on uh, uh, autonomous vehicle manufacturers radar? Because I'm not hearing yeah. much about it. Actually, it is. And, and um, they're one of the companies that is uh, a recipient of the uh, semifinal round of USDOT innovation money is working specifically on the wayfinding issue. And they are working on developing a more precise uh, technology that will start to solve for some of the issues that you um, have raised. So I, I, do I think that, I mean, I don't know, but I mean, nobody knows, but will the technology launch with that level of, of accuracy? Hard to say, possibly not. I do know that it is a focus for the, uh, for the industry. And they do recognize that when there's not a driver, folks with disabilities in particular um, are going to be challenged by the, the issue of issues associated with wayfinding. Next question. Thank you. Yep. Okay, let's see. Uh, Wes, you should be able to unmute. 
Okay, uh, this is Wesley Brown from Portland, Oregon, and I have two things. One concern is the financial aspect of it, because being part of the visually impaired community that's unemployed or underemployed, the question is, is the money, you know, whether own it or especially if it's going to be on like a car share fee for service situation. Because like this, my church is like three and a half miles from the bus stop. Mm-hmm. And my church is having a hard time finding somebody to give me a ride to and from the bus stop. And they suggest, oh, take Uber. I take Lyft. I do that. And it's $10 each way, four times a week, running me about, you know, basically $80 a month for, you know, Sunday service. And if I go to Wednesday night Bible study, that's like three, which is, runs later at night. Yeah. That'd be $30 in one direction to go the way home. And so that's my big concern. Is this going to make the fee for service any cheaper? Just taking away, away the driver, you know. And of course, it might relieve me have to, you know, fork out more money for the tip. And also, my second concern is the safety. If we ever do this on, like, may use an autonomous system, autonomous vehicle as a replacement for a city bus system, like for like a city community bus, I'm concerned about the behavior of the other passengers because, like. In our town, our public transit system started doing light rail. And in light rail, you know, the driver goes behind a wall and closes the door. So you don't see the driver in the actual passive compartment with you. And I hear over and over that the crime level, you know, chance of attack, robbery, what is, et cetera, is worse on the train than it is in the buses where the people can actually see the authority figure of a driver on the bus, and they're always saying you're a lot more safe on a bus than on the uh, light rail train. Mm-hmm. My, my concern, if on an autonomous bus, are they going to have the same problems as the light rail trains or worse, where it's like you might be taking life in your own hands to ride that blooming bus? You know, that's... Yeah. yeah, I get the concern. So your concerns are basically cost and also uh, safety, and those those are very interesting uh, concerns uh, you know, for, for this technology. Um, next question. Renee, you should be able to unmute. Yes. Um, uh, thank you. Um, wait a minute. Yeah. Uh, my name is Renee, um, Zellickson. I'm from, uh, Chicago and yes, I'm, um, I'm, I'm very much in favor of the autonomous car. Uh, uh, two questions. One, I guess when the, um, when the person, when the when you get on the bus and you have your card and it knows your disability, I'm assuming if you're wearing headphones, if you're not wearing headphones, how is it telling you uh, what the streets are? And the second one, with an actual car, uh, let's say you go to a store in a parking lot, um, and I guess when the car lets you off and you have to find your car again, is it going to have some kind of an audio noise? <clears throat> I'd like to I'd like to be able to, even on a leased car, if you, um, I think if you, if they have these robo cars, or let's say you re- lease or rent a car, I think in, in the, is, should somehow, like an Uber or whatever, mm-hmm. this car is for you, Renee. How do you know you're getting in the right car? Yeah. And, um, I think that's all my questions for the moment. Renee, <laughs> oh, and, oh, and Congress. What is Congress? Uh, how, how much of a fight are we going to have with Congress? To um to uh to 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 be able to have the right to have a car. And Renee, this is Pat. And uh, to your first question, I'll let Ron take the hard ones. Um, <laughs> to, the, to the first question, talking about 
um, the the vehicle announcing only to you, um, you know, so that you would only hear that response. It has to do with the the way the microphones are set up, the way the the microphones are placed, uh, very specific, so that the entire vehicle, as we know now, you know, they announce all the streets, so all the everyone on the, and the, on the bus can hear the streets as you're going by. You don't need to have that with the newer newer technology. They can make it so that on a vehicle, if you are sitting there, you're, it identifies you as someone who needs assistance through, a, let's say, a smart card, that it will announce to you um, what, what you need to know as far as information going by someone else who can see, let's won't need that. They may need other information. So the vehicle is uh, used to, uh, the vehicle can adjust to your disability so that you get the information that you need. And that's done in, in this particular instance, it was done smart card. So as you walked onto the vehicle, the vehicle knew what your disability was and would adjust to itself to you to fit your disability. But my my prediction, Renee, is that smart cards will not be in use in the permanent technology uh, and that, that you will not see vehicles that the vehicle itself will not adjust, you know, put will will not do that. What I believe will happen is is just like you have with Uber and Lyft and some of the newer apps, you're going to have an account in a system in, in a in a mobile app that a car service runs. And your account is going to have things that you set up yourself when you onboard to the service. And it will determine based on how you've set up your preferences, it will it'll do certain things for you. Uh, inside your app, and and you'll use the accessibility that's built into your smartphone um, to to access that information. So, for example, I like to travel with my AirPods. I'm going to have my phone set up so that when I use the service, I'm going to I'm going to get those street announcements through my AirPods, just like I would get anything else that Voiceover chooses to tell me. Um, so, I, I think that those those issues are all going to be account-based uh, and they're going to be pretty customizable at the customers at an individual customer level. I think your other question uh, in reference to uh, Congress, um, I think, I mean, that if anybody can predict Congress's behavior, they could write, well, I mean, even people who can't predict it write books, but I, I think the issues that you're going to see are transitional issues around insurance uh, and around licensing. Those are going to be the the difficult issues. And once those issues are resolved, I, I think that Congress isn't really going to, you know, they're not going to play a huge role in who has access to the technology. Um, so I think what really, this is why this is important right now. Uh, I think the licensing and insurance issues are super important for the disability community to be weighing in on. And I know ACB has, and I know other organizations have as well. And there are a number of groups, including the National Council on Disabilities uh, and others who have put out really strongly worded statements around non-discriminatory licensing and insurance requirements uh, so that people like us um, who, you know, we could never get a license or, or, and it's even hard. I mean, my car insurance is pretty expensive because I'm not the driver um, of our family car. Those kinds of things, I think, will get addressed, um, but they need to be dealt with now as this technology is starting to be regulated or being thought about being regulated. So that's definitely an issue that we need to keep bringing up. Next question. Larry, you should be able to unmute. 
Uh, my name's Larry. I'm in uh, San Antonio, Texas. Uh, this is exciting, exciting information. I really appreciate Pat's uh, uh, little story, and I I would love to see that happen one day, but I agree with Ron. It probably is going to take a while. Uh, my perspective is, and you can disagree with me on this, my perspective is that where we really need to focus on primarily is on how and when autonomous vehicles will become part of public transportation and particularly paratransit service, because it would seem to me that from an economic standpoint that that's where they would be most useful in, in, a, in a collective manner. One of the one of the concerns that I would have regarding the information provided to the passenger uh, is on arrival. You know, when you're dropped off at a location by a paratransit vehicle or uh, or uh, um, one of the uh, what do you call them? Uh, I forgot the name. Yeah, anyway. TNC. Yeah, yeah uh, that you may or may not be really at the door and someone else brought this up and a lot of times if you're going to a location that's in a mall or at a at a university campus or wherever yeah there there are some real uh problems with getting to the actual door that you need to get to so so some guidance need to be provided by that uh, by that robot of telling you, I'm dropping you off and your entrance is, you know, 20 feet to, in front of you or to the left or whatever. That kind of information is really critical. As far as the, as far as the pickup is concerned, Uber is doing this rather well right now. They have trained the drivers that when they pull up and they know that it's a blind passenger, they will call out your name. And so, indeed, you could have the the same vehicle call out your name. But again, Ron, if it's calling your name through your headset, that isn't giving you much orientation as to where the vehicle is. Agreed. Agreed. And and there there are just a couple of things. And I want to kind of jump to the app, um, too. But a couple couple of things that I think are exciting. Uh, First off, just in reference to the, the question of, you're right. If your phone is telling you information, it's not directional. There, there is a lot of conversation happening around how the vehicles uh, um, notify the passenger of their location. So, for example, um, a horn, a musical tone, uh, your name, um, I mean, which has some privacy concerns, uh, if, especially if you're in a congested area. But there are that that is a part of the conversation, and there is an awareness that 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 needs to probably be vehicle centered information so that it becomes directional. There are some conversations around having the app provide directional assistance to get you to the vehicle. So for example, the same app that you use to summon the vehicle has the ability to provide you with um, walking directions to the vehicle's location. Um, At this point, I don't, we don't know the answer to which path will ultimately be taken, but there's a recognition. The thing that excites me the most around this space is some of the companies that are working on this issue, and I've got a really bad echo. I'm hoping others aren't hearing that. Um, Unfortunately, we are. You are. Well, I am. 
I am, but I'm getting a, a the reception dropped off, and I'm getting an echo. So I just want to make sure folks can hear. So let me just finish that comment. And, I'm not hearing your echo. Okay, good. If you're not hearing it, I'll ignore it. So I think that the convergence of the technology in the vehicles and wayfinding technology that might be in an app like Good Maps or uh, an app like augmented, uh, FAR Augmented Reality or some of the other navigational apps. A lot of the companies that are working on the autonomous vehicle uh, questions are companies that are also working on navigational technologies that are used uh, in the built environment. So the same companies that might be putting beacons in buildings or using uh, LIDAR to, uh, to do indoor mapping are also the companies that are feeding uh, information to the autonomous vehicle manufacturers. So you could literally have one app that does multiple things that are all based around navigation. That's why this is an environmental access issue because these things are, they're going to interact and force us to interact a lot more with our environment out beyond the vehicle because there's not a driver who can just direct us. So super important for us to be paying attention to this stuff and providing this kind of comment. Sheila, go ahead. Still there? Do we have Sheila? Ron, this is Pat, and I'll just add to your comment that yeah. I'm thinking about projects that are being put together, a combination uh, that will connect uh, the environment, sidewalks, transit centers, bus, all throughout an entire artificial intelligence, uh, technology, and, and excellent mapping. Yeah, I, I somehow automatically got muted again. Um, I just wanted to add that there are already a lot of technologies that are easy to to get your hands on now that are very 3D, like um, Soundscape. You put on a pair of bone conducting headphones, and I literally hear things in the front on the left or in the rear on the right. So we're already... You know, and as uh, you know, many of the other things you mentioned, Ron, and I just wanted to throw in a question or something to go along with something that so many have brought up, you know, finding, what about finding, we're talking about finding the vehicle, but do we want to make it um, a point to have the design of the doors of the vehicles to be somewhat uniform so that um, I I can see people in our group maybe having trouble boarding the vehicle, figuring out should the lay of the land be somewhat uniform so that there isn't someone there to put your hand on the door and help you, you know, that sort of thing. Just, just the basic structure of the, of the entrance and the exit of the vehicle. Yeah. Or will, you know, will it be like regular car doors that people pump their heads? That's pretty much all we had. Yep. That's a good question and a good point about the design of the vehicle itself and definitely something that is being talked about, especially on the U.S. Access Board side. It's my personal hope that we reach the point with this technology where the door autom- the door that is closest to you as you approach the vehicle automatically opens 
uh, so that you can enter. And maybe it doesn't open all the way, but maybe it it unlocks and makes a tone so you can can locate it easily. Uh, so those are things that are still you know, being kind of worked through. But it's a it's been a, a big point of conversation already in the U.S. Access Board webinars. Let me um, jump to, and we're going to have to figure out a way to continue the conversation, whether it's on the ACB lists or the community pages, because I think there's a lot more conversation uh, that that should be had and that can be had. Uh, so I don't want to cut it off, but I want to talk. I want to make sure we have time to talk about the mobile app because this is probably where for us as uh, and and really for all consumers this is where the rubber hits the road so to speak is this this app or these apps are going to determine how we order the technology how we pay for the technology uh, I, I don't mean the amounts but i mean the how of it uh, how we uh, control the vehicle itself uh, there may be buttons inside the vehicle but i'm i'm guessing that there will also be app based control uh, just because it's easier uh, to program and reprogram and do different things. So these apps become super important. So I think one thing I'd like to ask is just, you know, aside from obvious accessibility, um, we, I mean, the app has to be accessible. It has to work on a Google platform. It has to work on an, on an iPhone platform. And it's got to work on any other platforms that get invented between now and when the technology rolls out. Besides obvious accessibility, what are some of the concerns that people have? What are the things that you think would make the app more useful from the standpoint of a blind person traveling in an autonomous vehicle? Okay, let's see. We have... Uh... Say, Rod, well, Belinda is... Uh, this is Chris Bell. I'm on the Environmental Access Committee and Transportation mm -hmm. Committee. Yeah. Um, so, uh, even before you get to the issue of the app... We have to be uh, aware that there will be many people that could benefit from autonomous vehicles, increasing the availability of transportation, for example, in rural areas, mm -hmm. but who do not have either the access to smartphones or even if they have access, they don't really understand and can use them. Um, and, you know, won't be able to use an app. I mean, yeah. my, my stepmother is 85 and she's got dementia. My father's 98 and neither, neither one of them should be driving. Um, but <laughs> nor are they going to be able to use an app. And one of my concerns, in addition to this being smartphone based, is that um, there are going to be a lot of people that are going to need transportation that should have a driver who can help them. Um, and there's a real risk, I think, that uh, for economic reasons, yep. all of a sudden there won't be any, <laughs> you won't have that personal service available. And that's going to be a real problem uh, for, for many people that otherwise need this transportation. So one of the companies, uh, or one of the, I'm sorry, one of the recipients of one of the semifinalist grants is a consortium of universities, Kansas and Florida, that is specifically working on the challenge of how to make this technology accessible to people who have intellectual disabilities, developmental disabilities, and dementia. That is their specific goal. And I don't remember, I read through their submittal. I don't remember the specific details of it, uh, but they are, they are 
looking at, yeah, how do you, I mean, that's the question that they're looking at. Um, I personally believe because there's a concept within federal law, uh, discrimination law called equity. And equity has basically means that we can't, the federal government can't fund. Uh, and in some instances, it's illegal to have technology that disproportionately benefits one group at the expense uh, or harm of another. And so when we think about this in terms of, for example, the use of Uber in paratransit, which is something everybody can relate to uh, if you've ever been in an Uber, transit agencies can't really do that unless they find a way to provide the same level of service to everybody else who can't use an Uber. For example, people in wheelchairs, uh, people who need the driver to come to the door, which Uber doesn't do, uh, et cetera. It's one of the reasons why services like Uber aren't more prevalent in paratransit. I believe that equity will be applied to the autonomous vehicle um, regulations as well. And if I were an entrepreneur in that space, I would be thinking really hard about how to capture uh, the market of people who need uh, this service and who, um, for example, I would have a call center who sort of like um, the, the there's a service called GoGo Grandparent that basically gives access to seniors and others uh, to Uber and Lyft who can't use smartphones. Um, I, I think those are things that the industry needs to be paying attention to because I think the regulators will be paying attention to this, especially under this administration that we currently have. But we need to stay on top of it because if we don't, um, you know, it could get ahead of us. Okay, thanks. <clears throat> so, Melinda, do, who's our next? Uh, let's see, we've got Bob. Bob, you should be able to unmute. Yes, hello. Um, so, I echo the concern of the first caller about um, about <clears throat> accurate location because there is de there are definitely some buildings. I mean, well, right now I'm in Vancouver, Washington, by the way, but I grew up in Edmonds, just north of Seattle, and that's where I have most of my transportation experience. And uh, there were definitely complexes where. You know, I needed to be on this side of the building, but the map was telling the driver to go behind the building. Right. And so there are definitely issues that, that need to go. But or even let's say and, and maybe this uh, maybe this would be something in the app that that uh, that can that can be put in um, instructions on what you're looking for, like let's say you're going to a park or something and you're going to meet up with a group of friends and the, the person you're supposed to meet is holding a 12th man flag. How are you going to tell an autonomous vehicle that that's the person you need to look for? So again, being the uh, entrepreneur at heart, uh, if it were me, I would be talking, if I were a manufacturer, I'd be thinking about how do I partner with a company like Ira or Be My Eyes to make a service available to people um, to, you know, to, to do the things that autonomous technology may not in and of itself be able to do. I think it will get very, very good. Uh, but I don't know about that 12th man stuff. For me, it would be the IU sweatshirt. But, um, but yeah, I mean, we need to be able to <laughs> figure those things out. Um, so, so yeah, that's a great point and definitely one worth uh, keeping, you know, keeping in the conversation. Okay, we have Wes. You should be able to unmute. Yes, 
only thing, these concerns I hear now, the thing is, I like to say it because to me it sounds like the Thomas vehicle is for the more independent, a visually impaired blind person, what it sounds like, versus if you need help, get out, find directions, get into the door, you need other needs. There's probably still a need for like another service that has either a driver or an attendant aboard, said a Thomas vehicle, like an able, able-bodied attendant to help you with those things like pushing your wheelchair, side guiding to the door or whatever. There's probably still a need for that. And then again, as for accessibility, you know, so probably still a need for a, such a paratransit service with attendant drivers or attendants. And as for the accessibility of the Thomas vehicle, only thing I say that I think it needs it either needs like a uh, easy to read signage or emblem symbols on the vehicle, a easily recognizable paint job shape, something. And also Lyft is doing something where they have this little light on the dashboard that glows a certain color that thing indicated in your app. And maybe need like a more of an audio based version of that where like the app, you know, this is like if you're using an app to access the Thomas vehicle where the app calls their phone to play like this little ditty, this little tune. And then, mm-hmm. it, then the autonomous vehicle, when it pulls up to the pickup point, it would repeat that tune. You know, the phone plays are known to listen for, then the, the vehicle itself could repeat that tune. And then basically what I'm saying is that in the vehicle, let's just say, you know, find the door, an, auton- an automatic opening door probably helpful. It's in part for most of us, it'd probably be easier to find an opening than maybe, say, a door handle. Mm-hmm. But... Also, it's like in the vehicle, I would say, you know, if there's a t- it's maybe a, over a test screen, look for like discrete push buttons, braille labeling, easy to see large print mm-hmm. symbols, labels on the buttons. If there's a test screen or a display, larger, easy to read or option or an option yeah. for larger and easy to read letters, symbols on those displays, or maybe a screen reader like voiceover yeah. that allow me to access the display, other functions in the vehicle. As I say, it'd be really handy if that vehicle is actually using an app on your smartphone is to have that smartphone app be able to let me access those controls from my phone using like the Zoom or voiceover features or whatever, uh, whatever accessibility yeah. features I have on my phone. And as I say, it'd be nice. And as for like finding your friend, like in the park, find the guy with the 12th man flag or the Me Too sweatshirt, whatever. At what point does it become a separate issue than the autonomous vehicle? When I say it's really not the autonomous vehicle's job to tell you where your friend is, it's just that when you get out to destination, time to haul out the smartphones, <coughs> give the guy a call, or maybe there's an app that I think Apple has an app that lets you, you know, find your friends, see where they are on the map, or have an audio version where it can make your friends like case a beacon on like a soundscape, for instance and make the whole different issue covered by a whole different set of adaptive yeah. technologies than the vehicle. So uh, yeah. that, that's a really, that's an excellent point. And what I will say is first off, all of your kind of practical suggestions are really good. Um, and I really like some of those, th- those are the kind of comments that are helpful for the U S access board around buttons, around how they're labeled uh, around Braille, large print, uh, a push to a put, maybe a push to speak button. Th- those kind of comments are, are exactly what they're looking for. The philosophical question you raised at the end um, is an interesting one, and that is where does the the job of AV, the autonomous vehicle, end, and where does the job of some other app or some other service or some other coping skill, if you will, take over? 
it's my personal opinion. This is why, again, I'm pretty excited that some of the, the, the companies that are working on wayfinding in general are also working on wayfinding and autonomous vehicles, because I think the time will come when we will start to have fewer apps that do more things and that they will do things in multiple spaces, not just in an autonomous vehicle, not just in a store, not just on a sidewalk, but, but in all three. And that's when things will start to get a little easier for us uh, as blind people and customers. Just a quick time check. How are we for time, Becky? Just a quick time check. How are we for time, Becky? She, I think she just left, but actually you got about five minutes to go. Okay. Okay. Echo. Yeah, the echo is back. I think that's she is that Sheila? Yeah. Um, I think Sheila came off mute and we got the echo back. So um and I don't hear it again. So okay. So we are down to the, the last five minutes. And what I'd like to do is make sure again, we have about two weeks to for folks to gather comments. And there are the U.S. Department of Transportation has webinars. I believe they are April 7th and 14th. Uh, I'll confirm this and we'll post some information on ACB lists and on the ACB community Facebook page about those webinars because they're an opportunity to come and listen to the conversation, to provide your own input. There is also a uh, uh, an online dialogue uh, which the U.S. Access Board is sponsoring, where people can raise concerns and make suggestions, which people can vote up or vote down, and you know all that good stuff that will inform this process. Um, I've been on that page. I've provided feedback. The page is—it's a typical page. It's—it's it's, uh, got you know it's a little bit cluttered, more cluttered than I would like, uh, but it is accessible. Um, so uh, we'll put those links out. People can check them out. I encourage you to, to share whatever you want. More is better. Let the experts have as much as you're willing to give them. Um, it'll help the access board as they think about how and to what extent they're going to want to try to regulate this technology. So, and they don't regulate. They write, you know, they write language which is picked up by, as I understand it, and Pat, you might be able to kind of clarify, but you know, they basically help other departments within the federal government develop regulatory language, which then gets written into law. And we, we just want to make sure that we get these issues addressed as much as we can. Um, so I'd like to ask Pat, if you have any final comments before we close it out. Ron, uh, I love your idea about the personal apps. I, that was an area I hadn't thought about. And also Chris, you're thinking about autonomous vehicles and their space within rural uh, areas. I think another area that we're looking forward to. And uh, Ron, very nice job, nicely done. And thank you to everybody here for their comments. And, and I will say thank you uh, for everything uh, in terms of all of your comments, your questions, your suggestions. Uh, there's never enough time to talk about this stuff because it's exciting and fun and cool and scary and all that stuff. Uh, but it's coming. And so this is our chance to design it. I believe that this technology will roll out for, at ground zero. This technology will roll out largely accessible. That's exciting to me, but it's going to take all of us to make it happen. So thank you for your part. And I will stop there. Did we lose Becky? Is she back? I think we lost her. 
Okay, we lost her then. I guess I will do the honors and thank everybody again for being here. And we are... I say thank you as well. Uh You guys did a great job. Oh, there's Sheila. Sheila. Yay.